Bigfoot is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. This is Sasswood, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Matsky, and tonight I'm extremely happy to introduce to you my co-host, Andy. Hello. You're extremely happy. Wow. I'm excited. Yes. For after all these years. After all these years of doing Sasswood, you're I'm still... Still happy to see you coming happy. through that door at the end of the day. Never wears off. It really doesn't. That father-son relationship is going strong. I don't know. And speaking of father-son relationships, we have exciting news to share. And that is, last week, a baby was born to Seth and Adrian Breedlove. Thomas is now a featured star of Seth's uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts. And uh, just a darling, cute little boy. Can't wait to meet him. Looks like he's getting along with the dogs pretty yes, well. Yes, that's great. It's great to see that. And extremely adorable to see, too. So cute. Someone said the newest member of the Small Town Monsters crew. Uh-huh. I thought that that was a cute and insightful thing to say. So congratulations to Seth and Adrian. Um, your life will never be the same af- after this moment, and that is... A wonderful, great thing. So, speaking of small town monsters, yes, there <laughs> there is going to be this Thursday, Thursday, May fourth, a small town monsters live. It's at six seven. It's six plus one o'clock. <laughs> six plus one o'clock. Seven o'clock. Um, on Facebook Live. Are on Facebook. Is Facebook Live like an actual dot com? No, I don't. I mean, it's... It's on Facebook. Go okay. on Small it's Town on Monsters Facebook page, and it'll be broadcast live. Six plus one o'clock. And if you can't make it, it's always archived as a podcast on hosted on the Podbean platform. So you can go back and listen to it if you missed it the first time around. I'm excited this week to talk to Seth and Brandon and the guys about the post-production on Mothman, because without saying too much, the movie's done. So I, I'm i just excited to hear about what they think of the finished product and so forth. It'll be good. Always good to be back in Wadsworth, Ohio. I wonder if it will snow again this time. Yeah, it's well, always snowed on our way home. Hopefully not in May now. Um, So, we have... Something else on the sat what sass what sat what sat what <laughs> say what sass what news desk? Oh yeah, we do. We have a couple things actually. Ooh, few news story, Dateline Beaver Township, Ohio. Which, if you're wondering, is south of Youngstown, south of Boardman, Ohio. So over towards Columbiana County. Authorities in Beaver Township, Ohio, have embarked on an unexpected search for Sasquatch following a strange theft in the area. Arlene Fitzer, owner of Farmer Dave's Gift and Garden Shop, 
reported to police that three hand-painted Bigfoot statues were stolen from in front of their store. The ne'er-do-wells behind the heist were apparently quite determined to bag the Bigfoot because two of the tributes to the cryptid weighed an incredible 225 pounds. In keeping with the baffling nature of Bigfoot, Fitzer was mystified that anyone was strong enough to lift the weighty Sasquatch statues. And with one of the statues measuring nearly four feet tall, she wondered where the thieves planned to hide such an eye-catching piece of artwork. Nonetheless, Fitzer was rather dismayed that they have gone missing since the total value of the stolen statues was around $300. Fortunately, the Beaver Township Police Department is now in the case, and they hope to pull off what so many in reality television have so far failed to do, find Bigfoot, or at least whoever stole the statues. That's an interesting news story right there, because it's about Bigfoot, yet not about a Bigfoot creature. It's very interesting. And in Ohio, Ohio Bigfoot is great. I want to I wanna go to Farmer Dave's gift shop now. Let's go. Road trip right now. Just lend them some uh, moral support, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And that's a shame. I mean, it, it does take some determination. We have a small concrete Bigfoot statue that we won at the uh, Sospi Bigfoot conference, which is going to be pretty important a little bit later in our program. And I can vouch for the fact that those things, we have just a little, like, what would you say, three foot tall? Mm -hmm. And that thing's solid. It's like dead weight. And just trying to get that into the back of our car at the end of that experience was memorable, to say the least. So I can't imagine trying to cart off one of those in fast fashion. I did check. that This story is a couple days old at this point. I did check today to see if there are any updates on the story, and I don't think there are. So the Bigfoots are still missing. Where can they be? I don't know, but if you see some mysterious uh, concrete Bigfoot feet, the debate continues. Concrete Bigfoot show up. Somewhere unexpectedly, uh, don't hesitate to report that to the local authorities. We got a letter as well, and I'd like to read that. This is from Brandon. He writes, Hey guys, I'm a middle schooler in Virginia, and I love your show. I also listen to Monsterland Ohio, and I'm a big fan. It's cool to know that there are other kids like me who enjoy the subject of Bigfoot and cryptids, but back to business. I want to know if there are any researchers in the area that I should contact Thanks for all the entertainment you've provided with me, and please keep recording. That's great to hear from someone who listens to Monsterland Ohio Radio, our other show that we do about nerdy things. If you thought we were nerdy on here, tune over to Monsterland Ohio Radio. And do you have a Bigfoot researcher over there? I do. I sent uh, Brandon an email in response, but I will say it here as well. I sent him in the direction of sasquatchwatch.org. That is the uh, organization that hosts the first annual Virginia Bigfoot Conference last year that Dr. David Floyd was a part of. And you can check that out on YouTube. Just look up uh, Virginia Bigfoot Conference and all of the speakers are there in good quality video. Uh, check out Dr. Floyd's presentation and the others. So I thought that that would be a great place for him to start to get into uh, Virginia Bigfoot because they are very serious about what they're doing and have a variety of resources on their page. And I'll, again, I think anybody 
who's interested should check that out at sasquatchwatch.org. And speaking of, oh, so thank you, Brandon, Yes. for writing. Thank we want you. to encourage you in uh, all of those interests. I think that that is something that a show like this, it's particularly gratifying to me that there are young people listening and expressing that this topic is something that they're into. And so anything that we can do to encourage that, um, we're happy to do so. And I think that's partially why we're ending up in Maine in September is that a lot of your researchers, uh, folks like Lauren Coleman and others, recognize how important it is to have a generation coming up that is taking an interest in unexplained things from a variety of standpoints. And, uh, you know, we need that mm -hmm. to continue. And so we want to encourage you, Brandon. Thank you for writing. Stay in touch with us. Let us know. Uh, what you find out. And if you attend the Virginia Bigfoot Conference, it'd be awesome to have a correspondent uh, that was there. Speaking of contact information, Andy, will you run down the list for us, please? If you would like to email us, it's at sasswhatmail at gmail.com. Twitter, we are there at sasswhatshow. And we are also on Facebook. Just look us up there in the way you look things up on Facebook. We also have MySpace. No, we don't have MySpace. <laughs> we should have MySpace. Is MySpace even around? I don't know. I don't know. Somebody look that up for yeah. us and, and see. And send us a letter at sasswhatmail at gmail.com. Or on Twitter. Or on any other social network that still exists. So you said before that we've been watching things. And one of the things that we watched just last night was a video from 1999. Why don't you set that up for us? So, this documentary is, it's a documentary, and it's called Sasquatch Odyssey, and it is a in-depth documentary on, I want to say, all things Bigfoot, and it's a very interesting documentary, because it shows Bigfoot before the spotlight really went on Bigfoot, like it is now. Um a lot of big names are in that documentary. You have John Green, Renee DeHinden, Grover Krantz, Peter Byrne. They're, I mean, the big four are all on this documentary, and it's really amazing. And they have great footage of when they were originally out there in the field. Great things. And they, they really talk to a lot of people. I mean, anyone from that era that would you'd think of Bigfoot when in that era they talked to it was a really great documentary who stood out to you as a personality renee de hinden renee de hinden is great what i'm listening okay. renee de hinden is great <laughs> renee de hinden is great because he has this attitude that's just i mean it doesn't seem like he could get along with anyone in the community, but just the way he was is I laugh at because it's I'm not making fun of him when I laugh at him. I just enjoy how he is. He's like I sometimes he's just like I don't care about these things. Like I think one of his main points he made in is that we should be looking for it before we try to decide what it is. Was one of the points he made. He makes all these great points that you really think about. It I really enjoyed hearing him talk. I also liked hearing Grover Krantz talk. That was great, too. What did you like about it? I thought, I think, you know, in retrospect and now having 
what would it be? At least, well, 17, 18 years behind its production. It's going to stand as a pretty important document, largely because you have the four horsemen of Bigfoot still able to communicate in a clear fashion, and that in itself is fascinating. Many, many times on Sasswit, we've talked about just how, you know, trying to put yourself in their shoes and sort of that whole era of of the search for Bigfoot when John Green was going out in the woods and, you know, Peter Byrne was coming around and, and all of those guys is utterly fascinating. And to hear them talk about it and reflect and the documentary is very open about the fact that those guys did not get along. They did collaborate, but then things would fall apart usually very quickly. It's just, that is so interesting. It's as interesting as the search for the creature for me. So I think it's important because you've got all of their stories collected together. They're reflecting on their very storied pasts. The thing that stood out for me was, first of all, where Grover Krantz admitted the fact that it wasn't fun for him. That really, that struck a chord with me. Just that he would say that, you know, and he was very matter-of-fact about it. It's like, this isn't fun. And and you can understand why, because of the position that he was in. He wanted to stay employed, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't help but be interested and at the same time feel like he was under attack by his peers that this they thought that it was foolish that he was even entertaining these thoughts and you know he says something else in at some point it's much like he says um you know I, reflecting on it it's like well i still have a job mm-hmm. like that was an, an accomplishment yeah which i'm sure it was i mean given the circumstances of having such a public interest in Sasquatch, yet you're supposed to be in the quote-unquote mm-hmm. scientific community. So yeah, he, I found that really, really interesting. He made the comment of, my university has supported me, they haven't fired me. Right. Which was like, whoa. Yes, yes, that's what I was grasping towards, but you remembered it accurately. It, that's That was a big moment, I thought. Dude, and that's true, it's like, <laughs> they didn't fire him. And something else, um, Peter Byrne, I liked the fact he said that he thinks scientists should be out there going and looking for these things. I really like that, that, you know, if a scientist hears something about this one thing in this part of the world, they should go there and look for it as opposed to just sitting back and trying to, you know, think of, think on it. I mean, you you should think on it, but not go there and investigate. I really liked how he's like, you should go there and investigate it. I came out with a really good impression of Peter Byrne mm-hmm. in this. I mean, I didn't really have a a settled opinion about him before. And he's very forthright about it. You know, he says, yeah, I raised money. Mm-hmm. I promoted to get it. You have to. Yeah. Anybody who's been in this subject arena knows that money just doesn't fall out of the sky in order for you to go and look for Bigfoot. You kind of have to go looking for it. And Peter Byrne, with all of his, mm-hmm. you know, personality flaws and quirks, knew how to go find where the money was. And he says it right out in the documentary, mm-hmm. like, I, I've i spent 
lots of other people's yeah. money in the search. But it, I don't think there's – it wasn't like he was um, just absconding with the money. I mean, he went and searched. It, mm-hmm. it was really uh, – it was a legitimate thing for him. And nobody had quite the level of experience that he did. I mean, uh, Himalayan searches mm-hmm. and the connections with Tom Slick. I mean, all of that is just – legendary mm-hmm. in in Bigfoot folklore and storytelling. So it, all those connections are great. The other thing was, like you said, I just really, I don't know, I got extremely excited by a lot of that archival footage and the uh, home movies of the day mm-hmm. of like John Green with his wife and him going across that sort of that hand bridge, uh-huh. crossing some stream. And that's just priceless. I mean... If it weren't for that documentary, it probably would never have seen that footage. And it just meant a lot to me because of the, the interest in the people uh, that you and I both have. So Sasquatch Odyssey, I think, in the long run, like I said, is going to be a pretty important sort of source material for people who want to know who were these men. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had the opportunity to meet them, not those four, uh, we never did. This is about as close as you'll ever get to hearing them speak in their own words, which I think is extremely important. Yeah, I completely agree. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was a great documentary. It also they also talk see, they talk to these classic researchers, but they also talk to the modern researchers of the day, which I thought was very interesting to see. They also I forget who it was, you might remember, but um it was very interesting that they made a comment, and for some reason this is stuck in my mind, that if science ever does accept Bigfoot, that all the big-name scientists will come in and push out all the amateurs. For some reason, that's stuck in my mind. So, who knows? Yeah. For some reason, I don't know why. It's not meant right. to mean anything, and secretly I'm sending a message to someone. I mean, I for some reason that's stuck in my mind, like, yeah, that would happen. I think that's realistic. Mm-hmm. I think it was DeHinden who said that. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, DeHinden made some... all these good points. I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. And somebody asked him, what would you do if you discovered one? And he was like, I'd make as much money as yeah. I could. and it's, it's true. <laughs> I mean, you might go, oh, that's terrible. But what would you do? I mean, if you found a body, he's like, uh, I'd, I'd make as much money with it as I could. I'm like, I mean, come on. It's great. I love DeHinden. Yeah, I think the the filmmaker did too. Mm-hmm. It's fairly obvious to me. It I've... seemed like the Hinden liked him too, whoever was behind the camera, because he seemed very open on camera. The Hinden, it's great. So, uh, big thanks once again to the uh, Cleveland Public Library System <laughs> and their interlibrary loan program, because that's how we got our hands on our copy of Sasquatch Odyssey. They're available everywhere, but. Um, any final thoughts on that? I think we've covered I really enjoyed it. I yeah, really I, did. I really I strongly recommend it to anyone interested. Because one thing it, it touches on that we haven't even talked about are sort of the, what would you say, the fringe theories regarding oh, yeah, it, it goes there, which is really interesting. It goes the there time. right away. For the time, yeah. Right, right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that that was good. Just a pretty balanced, it's a, a Canadian documentary. I wish I had written down more information about it, but... You can find it, Sasquatch Odyssey. Um, try and see that. For the rest of our program tonight, what you're going to be hearing 
is audio from a conference that we attended in September of 2015 down at Burr Oak State Park in good old Southeast Ohio, and it was the SOSPI Convention, Southeast Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigations, and they hosted a really world-class event. It was great. Um, In addition to uh, Paul Bartholomew, whose presentation is what you're going to hear part of tonight, they had David Politis of Missing 411 fame. Um, did Seth have a presentation? I know I think Seth... you will hear him in Paul's uh, presentation that you're going to hear on the program tonight. Uh, but I don't know if he I had I don't a... think he had one. I think it was just because they had the teaser for Whitehall. Right. That's right. I think that's what it was. Yeah, so you're going to hear the setup for that in the body of Paul Bartholomew's presentation. And Paul, as you probably know, but if you don't, Paul is based out of Whitehall, New York. He is regarded as an expert when it comes to the story of the Whitehall, Bigfoot, and Bear Road incident, and all the things that are captured in the Small Town Monsters movie, Beast of Whitehall. And he talks about that, and he talks about other strange happenings in Vermont, upstate New York, and that general region. And Paul is probably one of my favorite presenters, just because he, number one, he knows his stuff cold, because he researched it, and he's very articulate. He <laughs> he is really good at, at presenting publicly, and does a wonderful job with that, and his books are great, too. Uh, some of them are widely available, some are now collector's items, but uh, you will want to get your hands on Paul Bartholomew's written work. So what you're going to hear is the first half of a presentation about Bigfoot in New York and specifically some stuff from Whitehall. You're going to hear Seth Breedlove's voice as he talks about um, his experiences with the filming. And uh, just want to say a sincere thank you to Paul for giving us the permission to replay and rebroadcast this a couple years after the fact. So enjoy Paul Bartholomew's Beasts of New York. So if we could just uh, look at what I've done over the years is we've researched the New York, the Vermont, the entire Northeast. And there's a rich history here of Bigfoot type reports. Because when I was a kid and grew up, uh, we would think of Bigfoot as being in the Pacific Northwest, being in Washington State up in the British Columbia. We didn't really think of it being in Whitehall, New York. And yet we had a major outbreak there, which we'll get into. And it's easy to understand where a mystery like this can take place. This is a Peter Burns slide of the Pacific Northwest. I mean, look at that vast wilderness. But you know, the Adirondacks is uh, millions of acres of, you know, virtually untouched land. In fact, the Adirondack New York State has a commercial for visiting the Adirondacks in which they take a map of the Adirondacks and then they take five of the major state parks and put it inside it to show you just how vast it is. And if you were to look recent history, we had a prison break up in Dannemora. made national headlines. It took 21 days before they were apprehended. Uh, the technology that was used from helicopters, dogs, whatnot, none of that turned up anything. It was a lone patrolman who caught one near the Canadian border. And it was when the other prisoner got careless and shot at a camper that drew attention to himself. Otherwise, 
all these searches didn't turn up anything. So it's a very vast wilderness. Uh, there's the Gaelic Preserve, Nature Preserve, which is uh, rattlesnake infested. It's like going back in time. I mean, look at these shots, the ledges, and uh, the rough terrain. And so there's some very rugged area in New York that's often overlooked. And certainly it could house a, a tremendous mystery. In some of these areas, some of these regions, you can only reach it at certain times of the year because the roads are out. Uh, when Mr. Gaelic, who we had, that's who the Gaelic Preserve is named after, when he was ill and needed to be taken to hospital, uh, they could only reach him by boat. So it's some really rugged terrain. And it's swampy areas, and of course in these swampy areas we have a lot of mysteries, uh, a lot of sightings of creatures. We have more and more reports of the creatures actually in water recently. So it seems to like the swamps and the swampy areas. And of course, it's very, very rugged terrain. Try to up a little bit. So uh, yeah, there's adequate uh, land in New York State to house some sort of a mysterious creature. Uh, so that myth uh, can be debunked. Uh, this is the dog-faced boy from the circus genre. And really, he has a condition called hypertrichosis, in which he has excessive hair growth. And you can see we're in more primitive times where something like this could be misinterpreted as a creature, as a Bigfoot, as a werewolf, something like that. And yet, we know of this in modern times. There's several cases of it. It's simply a genetic disorder. But certainly, some of these cases could be uh, attributed this type of phenomenon, especially when you have the wild man reports. And this is a, a, cat, a footprint that was found and uh, published by Peter Byrne. And of course this is out west, and of course this is very clear, so it's very rare that you get a footprint like this. Usually there's partials and it's rough terrain. I don't think people really appreciate just how rough the terrain is, particularly in the northeast. And of course it's always, it's not just the footprint, it's the stride between the tracks that's often overwhelming. And this is just a quick collection of different sizes and shapes. Uh, we have three-toed casts, uh, four-toed casts, five-toed casts. Uh, some are, are, have a, a space between digits. So there's all sorts of different regional characteristics attributed to casts from taken from around the world. <coughs> of course, everyone knows who Grover Krantz was. And in the 70s and early 80s, uh, Grover was the leading proponent that these creatures were real and that there was a real phenomena here. And he was an anthropologist at Washington State University. Well, on the East Coast, we had Dr. Warren Cook. And Dr. Cook was a professor of history and anthropology at Castleton State College in Vermont, which has now been renamed Castleton University just a couple, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Dr. Cook, there's an exhibit uh, in honor of him. He was a Pulitzer Prize nominee for Latin American history. He was nominated for his Flood Tide of Empire. He was a, very much a, uh, an equal to uh, Grover Krantz. And he believed that these creatures were real as well. So what I'll do is I'll show a clip from a Canadian broadcast that, that, where they interviewed Dr. Cook and several witnesses in the Vermont area and give you a feel for sort of some of the Vermont witnesses. This is Pulse News out of Montreal. Few people go up these mountains in west central Vermont 
In fact, you can travel 17 miles through the brush and not see another road. This is believed to be the habitat of the Sasquatch. In this area alone, near Castleton, Vermont, Bigfoot has been spotted by 14 people since 1985. Most are understandably reluctant to talk about their experience. Wouldn't you be? I don't tell people that I meet. They, they would... I just wouldn't. Don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> be honest with you. Why not? Well... Uh, it's quite scary. Quite scary. Item, September 20th, 1985. Al and Bob Davis, Frank Grabowski, and Roscoe Jones heard some noise around 7.30 in the evening. Al Davis was the first to see something. I thought we had a couple pranksters or something up here. So I took a walk on a, on a logging road up from the house up here. And I come down to the top of the hill up here. And I see a silhouette of something I thought would have been about six, seven, seven foot. It had kind of like swinging shoulders. Uh, it had like a gorilla type appearance to it. I kind of panicked. My mind just shut right off. It just shut right off. And uh, took me a couple of seconds to come back to my senses here. And by that time, I'm not really even sure where the thing went. Did you know what you'd seen at that point? No. I did not. How'd you find out? I thought, more or less, what I thought I see was bear. The neighbor up here, Fran uh, Grabowski, come up and found some tracks like the following morning. And uh, everybody said they were, they were bear tracks. The next morning, Castleton State College history and anthropology professor Warren Cook and some of the students found and photographed these footprints where Davis spotted the creature. They also made plaster casts of the prints, which were distinct and deep in hard-packed gravel. This is the position in which the plaster casts were made. The incident left Al Davis decidedly frightened, but convinced about what he'd seen. So you believe that there is, there are Sasquatch living in these woods? Yeah, I do. I really do. Sightings of the legendary Bigfoot, or Yeti, date back 2,500 years. Well, there are hundreds of sightings annually in the United States. The state that racks up the largest number of sightings is, curiously enough, Florida. There are similar hundreds of sightings in Canada every year. Uh, the most sightings on record are in British Columbia. But the sightings have occurred in all the Canadian provinces, in all the American states except Rhode Island. And other parts of the world, too. Uh, well, China, Nepal, Bhutan, um, the Caucasus Mountains, the Pamirs. Over the past 2,500 years, the species had been sighted in many parts of the world and referred to as Sasquatch, the Abominable Snowman, the Yeti, and because of the gargantuan footprints it leaves behind, Bigfoot. These mountains have ample habitat for Sasquatches, but I don't think they're very numerous. I think their numbers are very scarce, and uh, they're on the verge of extinction. There have been 157 encounters with these creatures in New England and New York over the past 200 years, and no one was more surprised to see Bigfoot than Professor Cook's daughter. It happened less than a quarter kilometer from a sighting a year earlier by this man, where plaster casts were made of the footprints. Susan Cook's sighting happened October 1st, 1986, 8.30 p.m. She was driving down this road 
and her car spun out when she swerved to avoid a skunk. And as I started up again, um, at the edge of my headlights was a Bigfoot. Well, I, I can't describe it as anything else. Running across the road, and I just barely glimpsed it as I went into the bushes. Was it light outside? Dark it was outside? dark, Oops. and I could see it at the edge of my headlights. And the first thing you thought is, this is the Sasquatch. Well, I, I guess so, yeah. That, it was unmistakable. And how did you know then that it wasn't maybe someone pulling a prank or maybe a, an escaped gorilla? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was just, it was really, really big, and it moved very comfortably. It moved like an animal, like you do inside of your own skin. I just... Uh, Oh, this isn't me. I can't believe this is happening to me. And I, um, my brain was just scrambled for a while afterwards. I didn't stop the car or chase after it, and I, I don't know why. She was crying. She said, Dad, you won't believe it. Tears were running down her face. What Susan Cook was not aware of was three students sighted the same creature the same night in the same area. Quoting from their report, it, its eyes were deep set. They estimated its height at between six and a half and seven feet tall. Later that month, October 26th, two young women driving near Castleton Corners, Jill Courtright and Kathy Quill, both let out loud screams when they saw a huge creature crouched on the side of the road. Wider in the hips than the shoulders, it was long-haired like a bear, they said. Question, how do you know it wasn't a bear? Answer, I've seen bears and it was no bear, end quote. Brown, probably, um, and the hair was all the same length, like a bear. It wasn't scruffy or mangy. It was all smooth. And it walked upright. And it walked upright, and its hands. I remember one of its hands sort of coming like a fist. Well, from my study, I think they are surviving variety of Australopithecine, which means southern ape, and they're well blended. Uh, a species. What a shame it would be if they disappeared without us even recognizing them. Uh, after all, they may be a, uh, the closest relative in the animal kingdom to human beings. But Cook is one of the very few anthropologists willing to go on record about the existence of the Sasquatch. So anyone who says anthropologists, scientists, or as you says Bigfoot does not exist, what do you say? They'd have to have the kind of sighting that I saw, but it was just was unmistakable. It couldn't have been anything else, and it would change anybody's mind. So that was from Paul Snoop. Okay, we're at Ski Valley Country Club. We were about to meet a gentleman named Cliff Sparks who had a sighting back in 1975. There. Step in for a second. Um, that was from Paul News out of Canada. And so it gave you sort of a feel for Dr. Cook, who was the professor of history and anthropology at Castleman. And he did a lot of groundbreaking research. In fact, in 1985, he went to China to exchange information on the Chinese Che Ren and the American Sasquatch. And that is uh, a witness pointing out what she had seen. That's how uh, Che Ren, it means wild man or wild people. That's a picture of uh, Cook in China. And he lectured at halls with overflowing crowds. So there's a tremendous interest in the American Bigfoot over there. 
And of course, some of the Chinese journals he brought back show that they have a tremendous interest in paranormal topics as well, showing UFOs, Bigfoot, lake monsters, and space sciences, and so forth. This is the actual cast which uh, Dr. Cook was given, a replica of a, a Ye Ren casting of a footprint from uh, the 1980s, about 19 inches in length, very similar to the same dimensions as the Abear Road cast, which uh, we'll talk about soon. And this is the uh, blow up of the rendition on the, on the magazine. Uh, that's the word uh, Ye Ren, and uh, that is a typical description of what their creature looks like, predominant color, the dominant color was red. Funny thing about this slide here is when I show this at schools, I have to censor it. This is obviously a female. I actually have to put a label up there that says wild man. Uh, this is uh, difficult to see here, but uh, in the little corner there, in the little white box, there's a strand of hair. And this is supposed to be a Chayren hair. And back then they used to, uh, there wasn't DNA, they would test this by doing microscopic analysis. And that hair at that point had not matched anything known over in China. These are some strands. And it shows that brilliant red color. Uh, if you look at Nepal and the Himalayas, we have the Yeti or the Abamo Snowman. Of course, there's stamps issued in its honor. Cook had a collection of several of them. So it's a fairly much a revered figure in the Himalayas. And of course, there's Lauren Coleman's book, uh, Tom Slick and the Search for the Yeti, about the Abamo Snowman expeditions. Uh, terrific book on, on the Yeti. So if we look at the history where I'm from, uh, New York and Vermont area, we have the uh, Iroquois, the Algonquin, the Abenaki, and they talk of stone giants, the giant men of the mountains. Uh, we have the Wendigo. We have uh, Samuel Champlain talking about the Gugu, which was a creature uh, very much like this Bigfoot that uh, we cited today. So we have a long history of this, this research. It's not just a modern phenomenon. There's a train of evidence, a trail of evidence, that forms a pattern. And if you go into the 1800s, we have reports. If you do a newspaper search and you want to find newspaper clippings uh, for research, you don't punch in Bigfoot. You, don't, you punch in key phrases like creature or like uh, uh, wild man is the, the key one for the 1800s. And you'll get tons of reports come up about wild man reports. And uh, so, and they're interchangeable. If you, the same type of reports from Maine are happening in Vermont, are happening in, in all New England. And, and, and it's funny, in Vermont, there was a Governor Galusha. And in this election year, he had campaigned that he was gonna bring in their creature, which was called Old Slippery Skin. And uh, of course, that was a, uh, false campaign promise, so one of the first broken promises for politicians. <coughs> he never did bring them in. Uh, some things stay the same. Uh, you'll look at the bottom of this sign. It says, Welcome to New York, Mario Cuomo, governor. His son is now the governor of New York, Andrew. So we have, uh, you know, this is, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, if we look at the more modern history, we come up to more modern times, we come up to the 30s, and you have uh, Man, Beast, or Demon, it's loose in Amityville, Mysterious 
uh, ape-like marauder. And this is a monkey-like creature, primate type, uh, doing mischievous things and giving off these strange vocalizations. Sounds very familiar to the Bigfoot-type sightings of today. Now we get into Whitehall, New York. Now Whitehall is one of the places that claims to be the birthplace of the U.S. Navy. Uh, so that's one of our claims to fame. Another is that we passed an ordinance, which we'll talk about later, uh, which is actually a protective ordinance to protect these creatures or protect the, uh, further e educate people on the history of the creature. And this is the Scheme Valley Country Club sign, which no longer exists. They now have a Bigfoot as its logo. And this is Clifford Sparks. <laughs> Cliff had a sighting in 1975 of a creature on Green One. And I will go right into his sighting. Okay, we're at Scheme Valley Country Club. We're about to meet a gentleman named Cliff Sparks who had a sighting back in 1975. Actually, he had the sighting right up on, off the first green, when it was, back in 75, a golf course. Let's go meet Cliff. I think Paul is here waiting for us. Uh, Mike, this is Cliff Sparks. Cliff, how are you? Pleased to meet you. I hear you've got a great story. Yes, I do. Now, this happened back in 1975. Was it a golf course oh, yeah, at that, that time, right? It was a golf course in 67. Now, how much, how much has it changed since then? As far as you know, the area to the left of the of the green, there's houses over there now. And before it was all wooded oh, area, well, it's all pasture, pasture and hayland. Now, can before you tell us the story, can we get as close to the site as possible where you saw it? Then go right up there. We can go up there now. Oh yeah, no, this okay. is going to be exciting. Plus, I get to drive a golf cart. Okay, <laughs> we'll see you up there. We'll see you up at the green. Probably the least likely spot that I thought I would be today doing this show on Bigfoot on the first hole of a, you got a beautiful golf course here, I might add, but I just find it crazy. I, I figured I'd gonna be in the, in, up in the backwoods someplace, you know, trek about five miles in yeah. to see this this animal where it was saw, but it, it was where it was. But here we are, I mean, so tell us exactly what happened. Okay, we're, we're shutting off the sprinklers. I've already shut the fire truck off and Pulled the hose off a nine, and I come up here with my electric cart, and they're quiet, and uh, I might have found a dog on the cart, and we sat in the cart, and this big thing is on the green. It was right on the green. Yeah. Yeah, right in the middle of the green. He wasn't putting. No. All right. So, no. And this was at what time at night? About 11 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. It was an overcast night. Did the dog react to him at all? The dog? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. But the dog usually gets off and, and uh, marks his territory and uh, then jumps back on. But uh, we sat there, I kind of stunned for a minute, and the big thing, over seven foot tall, built like a monster with terrific shoulders and uh, long arms, was right in the middle of the green and he stared at more at the dog than he did at me. And there's like these red lines coming out of his eyes, like almost like laser beams. And the dog just hung his head over the, the cart and stayed there. And then the thing turned and ran up to crashed up to the woods. 
and the long drives. And uh, I just shined a little pocket flashlight. There was nothing. But uh, he showed up very plain uh, as a big one. And uh, so I pulled the hose off and rolled it up and uh, ran out the fire. So by then, I was scared. The dog still hadn't moved. And uh, we came back and went out to five and came back and then I all the rest and then got up to seven. And the dog got off the cart and was sniffing along the, the whole fence line up there. Huh. So the dog basically didn't react at all not while, while this thing was on the green? No, it was almost like he was paralyzed. And it's so unusual for him. It was very unusual for him. Now, to hang his head over the front of the thing. And yeah, and, and just, yeah, yeah. Ignore anything. So you said that this, this, the Bigfoot was more interested in the dog than me. Yeah, than you. yeah, yeah. Those, those uh, beams didn't come at me. So there are actually beams flying out of his eyes. That's what it looked like to me. It looked like yeah. short lines like that going towards the dog. Short red lines. It's yes. weird. It is weird. Yeah, I'll it's no, okay. Uh, most people say there's no, no possible way that could happen. Anybody right. could do that. But that's but, what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did you, did you before you told anybody about this? It was about a year. When they when I had the Abair Road study. Because, because after Abair, then, then you yeah. said to yourself, well, I said, my wife, my wife usually ran with me anyway. She usually rode with us anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, I knew she would, if she ever heard something like that, she would never go out. She hasn't gone out since. She really hasn't. No. Not at night. No. Oh, it isn't that. Yeah. That's unbelievable. We don't want to believe it anymore because I'm still scared. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And that was 1975. Yeah. yeah. And you don't look like the type that would scare very easily. Plus, well, he was a lot bigger than I was. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Unbelievable. You know what? I... Okay, that's Cliff on the green. This is a, you won't be able to hear the volume on this, and he's imitating how it walked. He said it moved sloth-like, and he said it had a conical-shaped head. This is actually Paul Cropper from Australia. He's talking about the eyes, a horizontal like dots coming out of the out of the eyes. He called it like an interrupted laser. He's saying that the dog was paralyzed and that it never moved where it usually would move off the cart. So that's a characteristic that we wouldn't expect to find, and yet Cliff is one of those witnesses that it's hard to deny it how sincere he is. And the only reason we got that report is we were friends of the family. Cliff was a farmer in, in the past, and, and my father was a farmer, and so they were great friends, and that's the only reason we got the report. So I, I put a lot of credibility with this particular sighting. Uh, this is the artist's rendition of what Cliff's creature looked like, conical-shaped head, about seven feet tall, moving sloth-like, and giving off those red eyes. This is John Green, of course, uh, in his book, which I would suggest as being the best book ever written on the topic, which is Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us. On page two, uh, I think it's 234, 235, something like that, they mentioned the Whitehall case. 
and they covered the, the Whitehall incident. And what they're talking about is an incident called the Avery Road incident. And this is one where, uh, this is the newspaper report from the Coast Star, Officers Track Creature. And what made this report interesting, uh, better than some, is because there were several law enforcement agencies involved in the actual sighting. Can't see this one because it's so dark. It's actually a nighttime shot of A-Bear, the sign on that. It's A-B-A-I-R. And if anybody saw the recent Finding Bigfoot episode, we have a tragedy to report. The telephone pole where this creature was sighted by was, uh, we were out filming the segment, and we're pointing at the, and they said, okay, point this way at the telephone pole, okay, tell them about the history, about how these teenagers saw this creature walking next to a telephone pole, how police were notified, they showed up, there were, over a week-long period, we had at least 11 witnesses who had a sighting on Avery Road. Well, as we're doing that, National Grid Truck pulls up, and Matt Moneymaker turns around and he says, hey, do you know the history behind this telephone pole? And he says, no, and Matt told him the history. And then he says, yep, he says it comes down tomorrow. And sure enough, they got to film the pole for the very last time. And uh, the film, the next day at this time, the pole was down along with uh, 10 or 12 other poles. So the telephone pole is no longer there. People used to come from all over the country to get their picture taken next to the pole. It was a funny thing. <laughs> Okay, so we're fortunate enough to have Seth Breedlove with us. And Seth is a documentary maker, and he has a, a film, his next project, which uh, he's going to tell us about. Yeah, <clears throat> our first film was Minerva Monster. Um, hopefully, some of you guys in attendance saw that. What we are going to show you today is literally, is this in anyone's way? This, what we're showing you today is literally like the first footage we've shown anyone from the Whitehall movie. Uh, we're calling it Beast of Whitehall. It is, uh, we just shot, some of this was actually just shot less than a week ago. So, uh, you are the first crowd to see it. Now, anyone who saw Minerva Monster, we set out to do this in this very specific way, which is we put the witnesses on camera, we put locals on camera, and we let them tell the story of their town and their local monster. So we wanted to do that again with Whitehall because that is what we want to do. And um, yeah, like I said, this is going to be the first time anyone's seen anything. There's no color correction. Some sounds going to be a little goofy, but I wanted to show you guys something. So hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, here you go. Hopefully. Hold on. There we go. I still dream about this incident once in a while. But back then, I relived that thing day in and day out, night after night. I would relive that. And, you know, one of the craziest things right to this day, right to this moment, this second, is what the hell was I looking at? It was the talk of the town. It was the talk of the region. It was a big deal when the 76 case happened. But we weren't really uh, so used to hearing reports about Bigfoot in our own backyards here in New York State. This is when he detected movement along the telephone pole. As it passed in front of the pole, he says uh, it began running towards Paddock's green pickup truck. 
said I couldn't speak at first, but finally blurted out, Marty, get the hell out of here. That's when uh, Patty spun out, leaving 57 feet of rubber and fishtail down the road. So yeah, it's uh, entirely around the Bear incident. We got to shoot on Bear Road. We did a lot of drone footage, which you saw at the beginning of that. So hopefully that kind of clues you guys in. You might actually be able to kind of picture what he's talking about a little better now, because that one shot really shows Bear in all its glory. I will say, and then I'll get out of your hair, I am really uh, attracted to that area, especially that Bear Road area. We've got to be out there after dark a couple times. We've even seen something unusual out there. Um, there's something really special about that area. I don't know if it's just the history of the town or the history of that particular place, but I love history. This is an amazing story. Paul was kind enough to help us really flesh it out on camera, too. So we're hoping we can really show you guys a great version, hopefully the definitive version of the Whitehall. So thanks, Paul. It looked great. Thanks.